0: Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. So for the past couple weeks, we've been diving into the life of David, um, and we've learned a lot of different things. We learned his story um, and how we can make that practical to our lives, and so we're going to do that today. And today's sermon is entitled Living in Loving Kindness. We're going to talk about what that looks like. And so just recap where David is right now. He is king of Israel, and he is just beating everybody there are any enemy that comes up to him like he just slays him he beats him his army just does not lose he does not lose a battle at all um, and so at this time it seems like a short period of peace where he decides to fulfill a promise to jonathan and king saul that he had made years before so turn with me please to 2nd samuel chapter 9 starting verse 1 and we'll read 1 through 5 and it'll be on the sky bible yes Or on your own Bibles, you can say amen, and then I'll start. Amen? I got one, two, three. Okay, that's enough. All right. Starting at verse 1. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Maker, the son of Emil at Lodabar. Say that five times fast. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Emil, at Lo-Debar. At least twice. So like David, we as Christians should be seeking kindness. And I was, I was studying this and praying about this, and I thought I understood what kindness meant, but I wanted to understand what biblical kindness looks like. Not just what the world says what is kind, but what does God say kindness is. And according to God's word, kindness is much more than an emotion or just an action. It's a supernatural quality from God. Galatians 5, verse 22 to 23 says it like this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. So in looking at it, if you want to live a life of kindness, then it has to be that our innate human nature, our flesh... Our fleshly person has to be filled with God's nature, i.e. being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what that means. Constantly being filled with him allows us to live a life of true loving kindness. And according to God's word, that's the only way you can truly live in a state of seeking real kindness is because you completely belong to Jesus. And what does that look like? That's radically turning away from everything that's selfishness, everything that is evil and ungodly, and deliberately turning towards God. And because you do that, you begin to do what is right by God's standards and start producing spiritual fruit. It's because you are seeking God and it becomes natural through your life. You don't have to try to strive like, oh, I really need to be kind to it. It just happens. It becomes easier and easier because it is God flowing through your life, through your actions and through your words. And if God desires us to live like him, then how we act and treat others reflects who God is to you. And that's something. Did you catch that? That your character, the way you treat people, the way you act, the way you talk, reflects who God is to you. How you perceive God determines how you act towards other people. And if so, we have people that we believe that God is love, and he is full of mercy, and he is kind, but we're not acting that way, then there's a disconnect. Either we're deliberately disobeying God, or we don't really believe that's who God says he is. We don't really believe that that is God. And so you have to find out where that disconnect in your life and and seek after God and learn his character, learn who he is. And that starts by initially asking Jesus into your heart, like, God, you are Lord of my life. But then it's constantly every day waking up and saying, God, all of me is all of you. I just want to be used by you. I want to love people. I want to act like you. And so you have to get in your word and really seek who God is. A message once a week for about 45 minutes is not enough to sustain your Christian livelihood. You have to personally be in the Word. You have to personally spend time with God. And don't just take my word for it or Pastor Matt's word for it. When we come up, we tell you what God says. Get in your Word and do it for yourself. It's that daily discipleship. I was thinking as we went to youth camp, there was such a spiritual high. Especially, has anybody ever been to youth camp, Christian youth camp? Yes, so we have a lot. So you have those moments, especially the last day, and it's like, oh, God, I love you. And you're just crying, and I give you all of me. And you're just, you're so emotionally overwhelmed, right? You give your life to Jesus, but then two weeks later, you find yourself in a position you were worse than you were a week before you went to youth camp. Because if you don't continually to strive to be discipled and seek God and be in your word, then those spiritual highs only last so long. It's through the tough times, through the times I don't really want to read the Word, but I need to read the Word because I need to understand who God is to me. And the closer you get to Jesus, the more you start understanding Him and the more you want to be like Him in every way possible. And you start looking like David in this moment. You start seeking those opportunities to be kind. Who can I love? Who can I bless? Who can I show mercy to? And you start looking in your own life like, Jesus, you've done so much for me, how can I be your hands and feet? How can I give and expect nothing back? And you have to have a heart for people. You have to have a heart for people. If you claim you love God, but you don't love people, you don't love God. If it's not reflecting out of your life and you're not looking like a Christian to the world, maybe you're not. Maybe you're not. Our culture is filled with Photoshop And social media and virtual appearances and fantasy that what people need is something real and genuine. They need something honest. They need the reality of Christ. They need his real kindness, his real love, and you can share that with them. But kindness is greater than just acting out in kindness. Colossians 3.12, I'm paraphrasing on this. It says, for us as beloved and holy chosen ones to put on compassionate hearts, and kindness. We put it on. So if it's something that we can put on, then guess what? You can take it off. You can choose not to be kind. You can love God and act like it, but you can choose to completely live opposite of that. And that's what the world has a problem with because they see so many different Christians going out and not being kind, not really loving people, and they're like, well, are you really who you say you are? Can Jesus really do that for me? Because you claim you're filled with Jesus and you won't act any better than me. It's our job to seek God and let him flow through us. Amen. Amen. We can easily forget our purpose, and that is to be a servant to people around us. And when Jesus saw crowds, the, the Bible says he was moved with compassion. He said they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus went and showed loving kindness to all of these people. Do we do that? When you see the untouchable people, when you see suffering people, when you see lost people, are you broken for them? Do you desire to help them, to bless them? Or are you more worried about your own problems? That's something we have to learn to distinct from. Yes, we're always going to have our problems, but our job is to be Jesus to the world, to love people, to show kindness to them. And there are times where you're presented with an opportunity to show kindness, and maybe this is you. You're like, I'm kind all the time. But what about when it's inconvenient? What about when an opportunity presents itself? You're like, you know what? I'm really busy. I got to go. I got to do, man, I'd, I'd love to love you and witness to you, but I got something to do, man. Jesus got you. There's another Jesus follower that can help you out. Do we let our busy schedules and busy lives keep us? From those God-given opportunities to show kindness to the world and to other people. I was reminded as I was reading, preparing for this, a story that, that Jesus dealt with. And this man came up to him and was like, Jesus, my daughter's about to die. You need to heal her. You need to heal her, man. I, I know you can do it. And he's like, okay. So on his way, and if you think you have a busy schedule, put yourself in Jesus' sandals for a second, okay? Dude was always busy, Barely had a moment for himself. And the only time he had a moment to himself, he was praying. So take that. Do that. But anyway, so as he's going to touch this daughter and and heal her and make her well, there was another woman that was in the crowd. And she had been dealing with an issue of blood, the Bible calls it, for over 10 years. And she's struggling. There's no one that can heal her. There's no doctors that can help her. And she had enough faith. She's like, if I touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be healed. I know he can heal me. I know God can heal me through this man. And she goes and she touches him and Jesus notices it. And so much so that he wasn't like, oh, that's cool you're healed, but I got this to do. He took time out of his busy schedule and his busy day to talk to her and love on her and tell her that she's forgiven and tell her that her faith has made her healed. So when those opportunities present themselves, don't let it be inconvenient for you to reach out and bless someone because guess what? God could be putting you right in that moment and testing you to be a light to that person. And we see that David in this moment had nothing to gain from being kind on helping Mephibosheth. David was at a point where he could finally help Saul's descendants like he promised. And he was showing kindness because he was able to understand the kindness that God had given him and showed him and showered him with. And do we have a heart that is reflecting our appreciation for the sacrifices and blessings that God has given us? Does our life resemble that? Does our heart resemble that, that we are so excited to help someone else or be used for the kingdom because we are so excited of what God has done in our lives. We eat, we have clothes, we have places to live. God has blessed a lot of us with great jobs. And if that's the case, then it should be easy for us to, to look at someone and be able to help them move or taking time every day to disciple someone, to volunteer at church, even give to missionaries because you understand, you know what, everything that I have is of God's. Everything. The breath that I'm breathing right now, take a breath. God gave you that. That's amazing. You weren't allowed to do that unless God ordained it, unless God gave you life. And so if we really internalize that, like, God, I am so thankful. You have completely blessed me. You've given me so much. Of course I can give my time. Of course I can help someone. You need money? Sure. Missions needs money? Go for it. Whatever you need, whatever the world needs, God, I can give to you because my cup runs over. You have completely blessed me that I don't just have basically what I need. I have more than what I need. I have so much that I can give out to everyone else around me. And that is having a heart that reflects true kindness because you understand that God was kind to us first amen and so by david showing genuine kindness we can learn something from him and mephibosheth in the next few verses starting at verse six and it says And mephibosheth the son of jonathan son of saul came to david and fell on his face and paid homage and david said mephibosheth and he answered behold i am your servant and David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. We as Christians, and especially those that aren't, often have a hard time accepting kindness. Maybe it's easy for you to seek out and be kind to people. Maybe it is. Maybe you're one of those weirdos that that is just super easy all the time to be extremely kind. But another thing that we struggle with and the world struggle with is accepting kindness towards us. And it was interesting to see how Mephibosheth responds directly to David's radical kindness. I mean, did you get that he's crippled and he's lame in his feet and he gets out from the comfort of his chair and falls with his face to the ground out of respect and out of thankfulness and out of appreciation Maybe he was feeling unworthy. I don't know. Maybe just overwhelmed. But what a great picture that is for us before Jesus. That in our broken and crippled state, our broken and crippled spiritual state, Jesus gave himself and blessed us. Gave everything for us so that we could be set free and we could be changed forever. And so when I ponder on that, when I start to think about that, it's very easy for me to be kind. Because I don't deserve God's mercy and His kindness, but it's still there. It's still there. And what if you're doing that and it starts to become internalized and you're like, you know what, God is awesome, and this is easy. You know what, it is easy for me to be kind. It is easy for me to bless people. But while you start doing that, something really weird can happen. And something that, that can seem strange is that what if they don't accept your kindness? What if you're doing for someone and doing for someone and they don't accept it? They don't appreciate it. You can go completely out of your way and help somebody, and they don't even tell you thank you. How rude. How rude. You're giving everything. You're taking time out of your day. You need to say thank you to me? That was mean. You ever take that? Am I the only one that's happened to you? Is there anybody else like, I can't believe you didn't say thank you to me after everything I did. Or maybe you've helped someone a hundred times. Maybe it's exaggeration, maybe it's not. And you're giving and you're giving and you're giving your time and your money or whatever it is. But the one time you couldn't help someone, that's what they hold against you. That's what they remember. Like I helped you a hundred times. Well, I remember that one time on January 13th at four o'clock when you said you were gonna be there and you were not there. That's all I'm saying. You thought you were going to be that? Yeah, I can't really trust you. And how do we deal with that? How do we deal with that when when it seems like someone won't accept our kindness or someone is rude to us when we're being kind? Well, how did Jesus deal with it? And we look at Jesus, and loving the unlovely is what set Jesus apart from all the religious and political leaders of his day. He loved people even when they didn't give it back, even when they didn't say thank you. So is it a test of kindness for us? When God sends those people that rub us the wrong way, you know what I mean? The sandpaper people that just get under your skin, man. That like, you know, yeah, I'm supposed to love you, but man, I really don't like you. I had, I had a guy that I used to work with was like that, and he annoyed me so much. He would ask for advice. I'd give him advice, and then he wouldn't accept it. He wouldn't take it, and he was lazy. And I'm just like, man, and I'd try to go out of my way to help him and be there for him, and it was just, oh, every day I was like, oh, I'm going to have to be with this guy again. Lord, help me. Lord, bless me. And he just, he knew how to push my buttons, man. You know those people that know you just enough to know how to push your buttons, get under your skin? And I started thinking about that. God, do you send those people that can push my buttons so you're teaching me how to become (laughs) buttonless? Are you trying to teach me that maybe I shouldn't have those buttons? Maybe someone shouldn't offend me that easily or mess with me that much. Why am I giving them that authority to do that? to change my attitude, to change my circumstance. I'm giving them that power because I'm getting offended by them. And if joy and peace and patience and kindness is of the Lord, then how are they taking that from you? Are they God? Can they truly take your peace if your peace is supposed to come from God? Can they truly stop you from being kind if your kindness is something that naturally flows out of your life because of God's Holy Spirit? And so oftentimes God is teaching us to be like him and experiencing and experience what he experiences every day. He gives people life and blessings even though they hate him and curse his name and kill his children. Our job is to be obedient to God and not worry about the results. I've said that before. I'll say it again. Be obedient to what God is calling you to do. Being kind. They don't accept it. Whatever. Continue to do it. Pour out because your cup does run over. Don't let others keep you from showing kindness. Let God be your ultimate motivator, not praise from people. If you're only kind when there's reward for yourself, guess what? It's not true kindness. If you're only kind to validate that you are somebody and that you are a kind person, because every time you're expecting, like, I helped you, yeah, where is it? Where's it? Thank you. Oh, yeah, no. You're a great guy, George. Thanks, man. That's, oh, no, I'm humble. No, you're not. You're not. You're seeking the validation. That's not true kindness. It is doing it when they don't accept it, and they're rude to you, and they hate you, and you're like, God bless you, man. Just just continue to do it. That is the kindness that God is talking about. And more than none, kindness is coupled with sacrifice. It costs us something to live a life of kindness. It is not cheap. It costs us time to disciple someone and be there for someone. To read with someone, go through the Bible together, pray with someone. That costs us something. It costs us time to volunteer at the church. Inconvenient times. where We're like, man, I really wish I would go on vacation. I'm supposed to serve this Sunday. Should I do it? I don't know. That's a choice you have to make. It costs you something to be kind towards your church even. And it costs something giving to missions. And that's something we oftentimes we hold on to very dearly to our finances. You can have everything else. Now my money, Honey. No, that's all me, man. Lord, you bless me. I know. Keep blessing me. Pour it out. Instead of, God, what I have is yours. If there's money that's needed that needs to go somewhere, do it. Use me. Let me be a vessel in that moment. And so if we struggle with accepting kindness, there's a couple things that God highlighted for me. And maybe you can relate to a couple of these things. Something that keeps us from accepting kindness towards us is our past hurts. And so every time someone is kind to you or shows kindness to you, that your immediate thought is, what's your real motive here? Anybody deal with that? Why are you really being kind to me? What's in it for you, man? What do you really want? What do you want me to do for you a week from now because you're doing this for me right now? And I'm not saying to not discern that because there are people that definitely try to take advantage of you and are definitely kind to you to get something out of you at the end of the day. But if that is your go-to all of the time that you're constantly looking for behind, you know, Wizard of Oz where you see the man behind the curtain, you're like, where's he at? Where's the guy? If that's constantly what you're doing, then there is some kind of brokenness that you need healing from and there's forgiveness in your past that you have to ask God to release from you. So that's not a constant thought every time anyone is kind to you. That's something that you need to pray about healing. The other kind that, that hit me is something that I used to deal with hard, man. And when people were kind to me, I'd be like, I'm good. I got it. It's okay. I'm doing me, bro. I can take care of myself, okay? I'm a big boy. Back up. I don't need your handouts. And so when people were kind to me, I looked at it, they're thinking, I'm weak, like, do you not think I can provide for myself? Like, get out of my face. I don't need nothing from you. Take your money back. Whatever it was, I was like angry about people being kind to me. And so if that's the case, then there's some kind of selfishness there, and there's a pride issue in your life. There's a pride issue that you're dealing with, and you have to, have to, have to ask God to humble you in those moments, because... If we can't accept other people, have we truly accepted what Jesus has done for us? Do we truly appreciate it? Or do we think we can live this life on our own, on our own standards, and be completely fine? And so accepting kindness can seem just as difficult as actually being kind. But if you can't accept it from someone, you're not only hurting yourself, but you're robbing them out of a blessing. If God is calling them to show kindness to you, to help you, to bless you in a certain way, and you say no, you are stopping them from doing what God has commanded them to do. Not only you not be obedient and accepting the blessing that God has given you, but now you've robbed them out of their blessing because you stopped them from being kind to you. And that's something that when I became a missionary associate, for us, for me and Shay to be here, for Matt and Stacey to be here, for the Turleys to go where they go, people have to believe in the ministry. They believe in what God has called you to do, and they bless us to allow us to be here, to eat, to have clothes. That is something we need. And if through that process of every church I would have went to, like, oh, we have an offering. we are come to bless you. And I'm like, nah, I'm good, man. You know what? I'm going to figure out how to raise this money. You know, I'm going to do me. I'm going to do me. I'm going to get a couple of jobs. It'll be all right. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous because now I've just robbed that entire church out of their blessings. The things they've been praying for, God can open up the doors of heaven because they were faithful in the small things. So he's going to continually pour out blessings on them. Ephesians 4.32 says it this way. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So failure to accept kindness keeps us from accepting and pursuing love. And if we become unable to seek and accept kindness and create this culture where there is no love, then we render the church ineffective. What are we doing here? If that's what God's calling us to do, but we're completely disobeying it, why do we gather together? There's no point. God doesn't dwell with people like that. It's got to be coupled together. We've got to seek kindness and accept kindness together so we can be a church filled with love. So what happens when seeking kindness is coupled with accepting kindness? We'll go to the last few verses in verse 11 through 13. It says, And Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Simply put, kindness grants royalty. We share a seat at the king's table like Mephibosheth. But it's not an earthly table. It's not an earthly king Thanks to Jesus' ultimate kindness by dying for us and rising from the dead, we have become royalty in him. We are royalty. Do you feel that way? Maybe not, but you are. Once you accept Jesus, once Jesus is in your life and you strive to follow him, you are changed. The Bible says you become a brand new creation. The old you is dead and gone. Now it's Jesus living through you, so you no longer become a slave to sin, but you're an heir to the kingdom. No longer you chained by sin and oppression, but you're set free and made new. And our future is completely set. We shouldn't have to worry about so many things anymore. Our future is set, man. Every situation, and we don't have to fear people that try to destroy us, even if we are completely removed from this world by means of hate. Like it's happening to our brothers and sisters all around the world constantly and daily. Are they killing Christians and persecuting them just because they believe in Jesus? They are being killed because of the gospel. Even if that happens to us, we can rest assured that when we're done in this world, we will spend the rest of eternity in God's presence where there is no more pain, there's no more hate, there's no more evil, there's no more suffering, there's no more tears, and there's no more sin. And by Jesus' ultimate kindness, we are adopted into God's family. You are son and daughter of God because of what Jesus has done for you. And what does that mean? It means, one, that you have perfect peace with God. No longer is he angry with you. Stop feeling like that. Every time you mess up, God, man, God is so mad right now. He just hates me. He's, maybe he forgot about me. I don't know. Maybe he can't cover this sin. Maybe he can't cover this part of my personality. I don't know. You have peace with God. Live like it. You have a guaranteed inheritance. What God has, you're allowed to share in peace, blessings, joy, all of that that is full of God's kingdom. You have access to that. And you have access to grow in God. According to be as close to God as you want, you get to choose how close you can be to God. There is no more limit. There's no more curtain that keeps you from God's presence or having direct access or talking to God whenever you need him. You can get as close to God as you desire. That is our gift. So if we are royalty, like God says, then we have to act like it. In Jesus, you are no longer just a human. And you're no longer just, I, man, I hate this phrase sometimes, like, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Is that all you are? You're just a sinner saved by grace can't wait to get to heaven one day. Everything's going to be good. I don't know why I always go country. Maybe it's because I'm an Okie, but I don't know. When I do impressions, it always goes country. Thank you. Represent Oklahoma, the other couple in the church. (laughs) We are a citizen of heaven and we are saints, not because we've earned it, Or we're perfect, but because we have accepted Jesus as our Lord of our life and we strive to follow him every day, daily. It's not just the one thing where you say the prayer one time, it's constantly, day in and day out. You're seeking to be just like Jesus. So know your identity and know your self worth. Stop feeling sorry for yourself and let Jesus push you to new heights, push you to a new direction, push you to a deeper faith. We oftentimes, we look at so many different Christians like, ah, they struggle with that, they struggle with that, they struggle with that. I know because we're in a small group together. I guess there's no hope, man. I guess I'm going to struggle with it too Really? How about you stop basing your walk with God on someone else's walk with God and just focus on Jesus? If you completely focus on Jesus and let him be your standard, you would be amazed at how he changes you, how he can pursue you, how you can grow deeper with him. And instead of being that guy that, like, I just can't make it to heaven one day, in Christ, we bring heaven here. Every room you go into, you bring the glory of heaven. You bring the presence of God. That is your right. That's your inheritance. Act like it. Something like the whole world's against you. Maybe if it is, but there are God's with you through every moment and every way you can walk. Wasn't that you? Isn't that something to celebrate? Let your face know it. Let your hands know it. Let your feet know it. Jesus is Lord. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. What he's saying is, I don't care. You keep up appearances. I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm going to do things that seem stupid and silly to you. Things that are counterintuitive, but because God is with me, I can do all things. That's what Paul says now. And God grants us the grace to overcome whatever sin is trying to creep into your mind and your life, even in this moment. You have ammunition. You don't have to live like, oh, I'm going to sin. What if you don't have to? What if God can help you overcome whatever is plaguing your mind, whatever is plaguing your family? And we can't conform to look and act like the world around us. We have to set our standard higher. And kindness isn't always about conforming. True kindness is challenging each other to seek after God and helping each other to overcome sin. Keep each other accountable, church. Help each other. That's why small groups are so important. We know the real us. We can help each other. You notice someone is doing something that's completely out of God's character. You can help them on it challenge them in a loving way. Not like, sinner, schmack, don't do that. That's terrible. But like, hey... I notice you're struggling with something. Can we talk? Can I pray with you? What is it? Get to the heart of the issue in their life. Help them. We aren't doing anyone any favors by letting other believers live and act contrary to the character of God. You're not helping them. You're not being kind to them because you're afraid of hurting their feelings. Guess what? God will handle their emotions. Don't worry about that. Help them. Love them. Let them grow. Grow with each other. And challenging your fellow Christian is an act of kindness. Reminding them that they're holy. Reminding them of who they are in their self-identity. Not in what they do, but who Jesus says they are. And for people that out, that's outside of the church that aren't Christians, how do you do that? Because it's always like, you're just judging me, man. You don't accept me. You don't love me. And so now it seems to be like, well, we just got to be love and just, just accept everybody. Do you accept the sin that's in their life? Maybe because they don't have the Bible, their standard, and they don't have Jesus as Lord of their life, does not mean you cannot present the gospel to them. does not mean that you can't be a witness through not only your words, but your life and your actions and how you speak. They notice something different about you. You challenge the world around you, and when they ask what's different, you're like, Jesus in my life is different. Jesus completely changed me. He confronted me in my sin, and my shame, and made me brand new and set me free from my life. If y'all would have known me before then, you wouldn't even recognize me. And the gospel at its core is offensive. It's offensive to the world. In our culture right now where everybody's offended, gospel's not getting less offensive. At its core, if you don't know Jesus, you don't have him Lord of your life, you are going to spend an eternity away from God and in hell. That's the reality of the gospel. And that's scary, man. And some people look at it like, well, God's just not loving. A loving God wouldn't do that. Well, guess what? If God gives you free will and you go your entire life hearing the gospel through other people you've been presented with, it, and you never choose to accept God and have a relationship with him, he's not going to force you to have a relationship with him for the rest of eternity when you never wanted one in the first place. That's what hell is. It's complete separation from God. So not only is it scary, but it makes people angry. Who does Jesus think he is? What kind of person are you telling me I got to change? I got to trust in you that you can transform me. You don't know me. And that may be the response you get from people. And they may curse you and hate you and may even get violent with you. But isn't that what Jesus promised? He said, they hated me first. They're going to hate you. Surprise! But we're still on the winning side and we can't be afraid to sit back and not give people a chance to be free and have a relationship with their creator because we are afraid we might offend them or get hurt. People don't need the appearances of kindness. They need the reality of kindness. Give people a chance to inherit the royalty God wants to give them. And it's better to lose a friend on earth because you presented the gospel and you believe what the Bible says. It's better to lose that friend but gain them in heaven one day because you planted that seed and God watered it. You did something that was difficult and I've had to do that with several of my friends that were friends before I was Christian and presented them the gospel that Jesus can change your life. And a lot of them whoop, walk away. I don't need this. That's going to happen but at least give them the chance. Give them the chance to show them that God loves them. Amen? His kindness is meant to lead people away from sin so that we will choose to love him back and reflect his character. So I'll close with a couple questions. And you can internalize these. You can write them down, whatever you want to do. But be challenged by this. Will you go against the grain by showing kindness to others? Will you show kindness when it's hard, when you're not appreciated, when there is no thank you in it for you? Will you still choose to be kind? Will you truly accept kindness directed towards you? Can you get over the stuff that stops you from people being nice to you and showing kindness? Can you truly get to a point where you just accept it? And will you accept and recognize who you are in Jesus and challenge the world around you? We can't fit the entire community in this area, in this building. So that's why church is equipping the saints so you can go do that. You can challenge your community. You can challenge your workplace. You can challenge your friends and family. Hold each other accountable and share the gospel. That's church. People rarely get saved just by coming in the doors and they're ready. It takes people going out and doing the work, doing the hard part. And that is hard. But that's when you have to remember who Jesus says you are. Know your identity. Know that you're royalty and that you are set free. That everything you need to accomplish the task, God has given you already. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.